Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning and praise you again. Lord, we thank you that we can come now to your word. We praise you for our worship and song and our worship and prayer. Now may we worship as we hear your word preached, expounded. Father, just pray as has been prayed already that you would give me clarity this morning, clarity of mind, clarity of heart, that I would preach your word in a way that is powerful, not because of who I am, not because of my own personality, but because your word is powerful when it's rightly understood and explained. We thank you in this, in this morning again in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I've titled my sermon this morning, a little bit of an obscure title, but I think I can explain it. The title is One Times Three Equals Infinity. One Times Three Equals Infinity. To explain that is actually in your bulletin on the bottom left-hand corner. It says one God times three persons. One God, three persons is equal to infinite blessings. And I think that's what we're going to find today as we, in, in, over the next couple of weeks, as we enter into the study of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Now, this morning, we are really only going to look at one verse. Uh, we're going to look at verse 3, which I believe we'll see as the main introductory statement to Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. I just want to, again, just, just be aware we're just going to do one verse today. Well, beloved, you and I, you and I have been blessed to live in, a, to live in this country. We have been given full pantries, closets of food, so we don't go about or don't worry about hunger. We've been given big, beautiful homes in many cases, so we don't have to worry about shelter. We have been given closets full of clothes, which we never wear in some cases, so we don't worry about clothing. We have huge, shiny hospitals, which provide a level of health care, which was beyond comprehension even just a few decades ago. We have smartphones, which provide the security of calling the police or the ambulance from anywhere we are, just about. I know there are exceptions, but even the poorest among us have access to food, clothing, and shelter, and have access to the most advanced health care system in the world. The government has even given smartphones to those who qualify. We should be thankful for these things. I am thankful, I'm thankful that we live in such an advanced society where people have access to these material riches which couldn't even be comprehended even a century ago. Some of you who are my age or older will know that the difference between what it was then and what it is now. Frankly, I don't think we fully appreciate the extent of our material blessings. We take for granted that we live in such an advanced society. All it takes is to venture into a third world country to see what we really have. Beloved, I want you to know that our material blessings come from the hand of God, yet we don't 
recognize the extent of what we have been given. In many ways, you could say the extent of our material blessings has blunted our understanding of how blessed we truly are. But I want to tell you that as bad as that is, as bad as it is that our, of, that our lack of understanding of our material blessings, that's not the blessings I'm talking about. What I'm about to tell you is truly tragic. As Christians here in America, we have been so materially blessed that we do not fully grasp the spiritual blessings that we have that are ours in Christ. We have been materially blessed to such an extent that our understanding of spiritual blessings have been almost completely blunted. Even more tragically, we have intertwined our material blessings and our spiritual blessings. Prosperity preachers such as Joel Osteen and Creflo Dollar and many others have taken advantage of this twisted thinking. They promise earthly riches for following Christ. Now, I'm certain that most of you, if not all of you, see how wrong that is. You probably wouldn't be sitting in this particular church if you didn't. But I am also certain that most of us have been affected more than we may realize by this thinking. In this past week, I watched a film called Paul, Apostle of Christ. The, the movie is set in Rome during the reign of Emperor Nero around 67, 67 A.D., in the movie, Paul was imprisoned, and Christians in Rome were suffering great persecution. Nero had burned the city and blamed the Christians, which brought about great persecution upon the brethren. The Christians, at, at the best, were poor and destitute, but at the worst, they were fed to wild animals as entertainment for the Romans. And they were even lit on fire and used as torches, human torches, burned alive. There was no hope for them in that city. Their biggest question was, why were they following Christ when it brought about such great suffering? They had to be reminded that this world and all that is in it was passing away, or is passing away. And that our suffering here pales in comparison to what God has given us in Christ. You see, that was Paul's point in 2 Corinthians 4.17, where he says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond, far beyond all comparison. Far beyond all comparison. His point is, is that what we have in eternity far outweighs anything that we have here, whether good or bad. In the movie, Paul is depicted as giving an analogy of this truth. He spoke of a man, in this movie, he spoke of a man who comes to a vast sea of water and dips his hand into it to drink some of the water. Try as he might to hold on to that water, it always slips through his fingers. As he, as he reaches down to grab it, it always drains out. He works to hold the water in his hand, failing to recognize the abundance of water in the sea before him. Beloved, the water in your hand is what we have here on this earth. While the water and the sea represents the vast blessings available to us in Christ. All we have to do is look and we see the vast blessings that we have. You see, the persecuted Christians had to be convinced that while their hand was dry and cracking and full of bitterness, they possessed the sweet water of the entire sea. And on the other hand, the Roman leaders and citizens who persecuted them were materially blessed. Their hand was running over. 
and seemingly without end. And in that sense, they're more like us. We tend to look at what we have here today and we tend to forget what we have in Christ in eternity. Beloved, our temporal situations will always greatly influence how we view eternity. If we have a material abundance here and now, it is tough for us to fathom our spiritual need. It's difficult for us to understand the vast ocean of blessing that we truly have in Christ. And that analogy breaks down, right? Because that ocean, even the ocean, has an end. Christ, there is no end to the blessings that we have in Christ. As we approach this letter of Ephesians, we must recognize that Paul had already suffered much for the cause of Christ. He had given, or he had possessed the riches of this world in his former life as a Pharisee, but he had given it up. He had given it up for the gall of persecution and suffering for the cause of Christ. Just listen to the heart of Paul in Philippians 3, verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Brothers and sisters, this may not resonate with you because you have not lost much. And maybe you haven't gained much either. I hope that it resonates with you that you that to think of what you give up in this world is nothing compared to what you gain in Christ. Paul had lost everything. And even as he wrote this letter, he was imprisoned for the sake of Christ. And yet he told the Ephesians not to lose heart at his tribulations. He didn't want them to fall away from Christ thinking of what they would lose in following him. He wanted them to understand all that they would gain. All that they would gain. The message is much the same today. As we approach this text, I want you to realize your bias. If for most of you, if not all of you, the, the water in your hand is overflowing. The tendency is to forget what you have in Christ. The tendency is to not be able to fathom true blessings that are yours in Christ. Probably even tempted, I could venture to say, you're probably even tempted to associate your earthly temporal riches with true eternal riches. You've heard it said, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? While this is sage advice for your material life, I'm afraid that many of us have applied this principle to our lives in Christ. We live as if this is as good as it ever gets. We live as if there's no eternity. We live as if our earthly blessings far outweigh spiritual ones. But that's not what our Lord Jesus taught, right? Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will you gain if you, if you get, gain the whole world, if you get everything in this world and you lose your soul for eternity? You see, Paul's life was an exposition of this principle. He gave, he gave up everything to gain everything. But what he gave up was nothing in comparison to what he gained in Christ. Jim Elliot says it this way. Jim Elliot, the, the missionary who lost his life, as he was speared in the riverbed as a missionary to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, he says this, He is no fool who gives that he cannot keep to gain that he cannot lose. If you give up what you can't keep, that, that water in the hand, it drains out to gain the whole ocean. See, Paul wanted his readers to understand and live out this principle as well. See, Paul, in this section of, of Scripture, in this passage, Paul wants his readers to comprehend the full breadth and depth of the threefold blessing of believers through the triune God, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that very clearly as we go through this passage. God the Father, first off, has blessed you, as we see what we'll see over the next couple of weeks, by choosing you. He has blessed you by cleansing you. And He has blessed you by co-opting or adopting you. I had to stay with the C word. It's a, it's a preacher thing. Now at this point, you might expect me to start the first point of the sermon, which I normally do, but that's not how the, the text is structured. Let me, read, let me read the first few verses here, and then I'll explain the outline. Starting in verse 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Now, I've given you the proposition and outline of the sermon the, the simple definition I just want to I think this is important for us to know the simple definition of a proposition statement that is a proposition statement is that it's a statement or assertion that expresses judgment or, or opinion generally speaking just to give you a little lesson generally speaking what you'll find me do is I will craft a proposition statement which I believe captures the main point of the sermon now, while the, the outline simply points back to that proposition, proving the proposition. So, you'll have the main point of the sermon, what I believe is the main point of the, the text, and then you'll have the outline points that prove it. Well, in this passage, I believe Paul gives us the proposition statement. That doesn't happen very often. I, think, I believe Paul actually gives us the proposition statement, and that is verse 3. So the, so the main point of verses 3 through 14, I believe, is possessed or shown in verse 3, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Said another way, in this verse, Paul gives a proposition which he will prove in the following verses. Namely, namely, this is the proposition. Let me, I said or explained a different way. 
if you are a saint in Christ, if you are in Christ, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing and the heavenly places in Christ. That's the, that's the, point, of the, that's the point of verses 3 through 14. When Angie and I first became Christians, we attended small groups in which we would study through the books of the Bible on a seven-year rotation. The lessons were structured to give an overview of the text. As an example, the lesson might ask something like, in this, in this situation, what was the meaning of Paul's statement in verse 3? Now, the intent of this question was to spur us to study more deeply to understand Paul's intent for writing the verse. Now, my beloved wife Angie, I'm going to pick on her just a little bit. I don't normally do this. She can be rather to the point in her thinking. So she might answer the question something like this. So the question is, what does Paul mean in this, in this verse? She might answer it something like this. Paul meant that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's, that's the answer. And you know what? She would be right. That's exactly the point of this verse. That you as a Christian, you as a Christian have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he goes on just to explain the source of those blessings and the impact that they have in the life of the believer. That's verses 4 through four, the rest, rest of, the, of the passage. The ultimate source of those blessings then is the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to find is that this forms the outline for the passage. What we're going to find today and next week is that God the Father has blessed you through election and adoption. He has brought you into the family. He has blessed you by choosing you and bringing you here into to the family. And then after that, we're going to find that God the Son, our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, has blessed you through redemption. That's verses 7 through 12. And then thirdly, we're going to find that God the Holy Spirit has blessed you by sealing you in Him. So what we see then is that this passage highlights the inner workings of the Godhead. It takes us back and gives us insight into the Trinitarian communication which occurred before the foundation of the world. We get to, to listen in. We get to be, uh, to be there, a fly on the wall, to be able to see and hear what is going on between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As I told you last week, this is rarefied air. Listen to this quote by John MacArthur. This is out of his sermon on Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. He says this, Now Paul starts on the road to grasping this incredible truth that God has saved you from the foundation of the world by taking us back to eternity and letting us eavesdrop as the Trinity makes its plans. Plans which involve us. Nobody, nobody ever became a Christian as a surprise to God. It was all planned, and it was all worked out in the Godhead. End quote. In other words, in other words, your sense of significance as a Christian should not come from what you are in this world. Shouldn't come from the company that you work for or the, the status that you've attained to. But it is rooted in who the Father has made you to be in Christ does not depend on what you have done or what you are going to do, but on what the Father has done in Christ. Your eternal worth 
is not based on your works, but on the works of the one who has redeemed you, our Lord Jesus Christ. And your eternal security does not stem from your ability to hold on to Him. Your eternal security doesn't come from what you can do to continue to impress Him, but from the fact that you've been sealed in the Holy Spirit. And as such, you are His and nothing can separate you from Him. Because nothing can thwart His redemptive plan which you, as a Christian, take part in. What an an exciting, amazing truth that we get to take part in what the Lord is doing through the, the, the Son and the Holy Spirit. What God the Father is doing through the Son and the Holy Spirit. We get to take part of that. Now, having explained this, we need to unpack what I've called Paul's proposition statement. Uh, Verse 3 is pretty straightforward, as I've said. But I think, having said that, I think a deeper study will give us greater insight. Paul starts out with blessed, blessed in the NAS. Blessed be the God and Father. This word blessed means worthy of praise or commendation. It's where we get our English word eulogy, which means praise. Now, I believe that we must see the entire section as one long praise for God and what God has done. Therefore, as we have said, verse 3 is not only an introduction to this praise, but it's also the main sentence or summary of the whole section. This word has the idea of ascribing appreciation, honor, and praise to someone who is worthy of that praise. The predominant use of the word in the Old Testament is to bless God. While this particular word is always used for praise to God in the New Testament. David's blessing of, of God in 2 Chronicles 29.10 is perhaps one of the most famous of these Old Testament blessings. If you want to, you can turn there. But I said 2 Chronicles, I think it's 1 Chronicles. Uh, here David blesses God for the abundant offering which has been given for the building of the temple. So that's the setting. He's blessing God for for the abundant offering that the people have brought in order to construct the temple. And in 1 Chronicles 29.10, it says, So David blessed the Lord in the sight of the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Then he goes on to say, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, Yours is the dominion, O Lord. And you exalt yourself as head over all. Now that word, if you look in your translations, most of your translations will have all caps. And what that means is that it's, it's translated, the word translated is the word we use for the name of God is Yahweh. Yahweh. In other words, David gave Yahweh all the praise and accommodation for what he had accomplished. And he goes on in 29.12 to say, Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and your hand in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. As such, then, David understands that every gift comes from And we have nothing outside of what 
Yahweh has grant, granted to us. Now the point is, is that David is giving God or, or Yahweh praise for this. He's giving Him praise for all that He has done. In the New Testament, in Luke 1.68, Zacharias, who is John the Baptist's father, prophesied this. He said this in, in Luke 1.68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has, he has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people. And He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, His servant. Clearly here, Zacharias was pointing to the coming Messiah who would bring salvation to His people. And he ascribes praise to God. Praise to God for His salvation. Now back in Ephesians 1.3, Paul's point is that God is worthy of all praise honor, and glory because He brings salvation to all the people of God. We can ascribe Him praise. We can praise Him in our lives because of what God has accomplished. Especially for His salvation. Now the ESV and the NASB both translate this verse back in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be, blessed be the God and the Father. I think this is a good translation, but perhaps the, the Net Bible, the New English Translation Bible, better captures Paul's point. It says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which helps better understand that in this verse. Ultimately, Paul ascribes praise for his mighty salvation. He wanted the Ephesians to ponder their salvation in Christ. He wanted them to ponder. He wanted them to understand what they had been given in Christ. Specifically, Paul here ascribes praise to, God, to the God and Father. I want you to notice how this parallels David's praise that we saw in 1 Chronicles 29.10. More specifically, as I mentioned, David praised Yahweh. And Paul then ascribes praise to Yahweh, who is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking about two separate people. He's talking about uh, the Father, who is Yahweh. He is God. He is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. And He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now in Ephesians 1.1, Paul has already connected the faithful believer to Christ. We saw that last week. In other words, it's important for the believer to understand that Jesus, the Son, forms our only connection, forms the connection to the Father. It is solely through God's beloved Son that believers have gained access to the Father. And we'll see this even more clearly as we study, continue to study this verse and as we continue to study this letter. Now, I want us to take a moment. I want us to take a moment and stop right here and ascribe praise to our God. Do you live a life of praise for what God has done for you? Do you see Christ as your greatest treasure? Do you understand the benefits of your salvation in Christ? I started this sermon by explaining to you that we can be blinded by our situations. We can fall for the lie that God's blessings come in the form of material riches. 
You see, nothing could be farther from the truth. What God has done for you and I in Christ Jesus is far beyond all the riches of this world. Far beyond anything of this world. As Christ proclaimed in Matthew 16, it is no profit. It is of no profit if you gain the whole world, yet lose your soul. Ironically, he said that as he began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. He, he told them that as he, as he revealed to them that he was going to go to the cross to suffer for the sins of the world. You may remember in Matthew 16 that Peter didn't like that. You may remember what he said, right? This shall never happen to you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And our Lord said what? Get behind me, Satan. Because Peter was focused on worldly things. Christ was focused on eternal things. Amazingly, just a few days later, after, this, after Matthew 16 and Matthew 17, Jesus revealed His true glory on the mountain giving them insight to the true riches, true heavenly riches. And in doing so, He gave them an idea of spiritual blessings which await the true believer in Christ. See, His disciples, they needed to understand this because they were about to face great persecution themselves. They were about to suffer greatly for the cause of Christ. And that's really Paul's point back in Ephesians 1.3. There's no doubt that Paul understood that persecution was coming upon the churches. He was already feeling it. He knew, to, he knew that the churches needed to understand the nature of true spiritual blessings. So he reminded them, he reminded the Ephesians what God has done for the believer in Christ. You see, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The one who is worthy of blessing and praise has blessed us. Don't let that go by too quickly. The one who deserves our blessing and praise, the one who deserves our adoration, has blessed us. James says this about God in James 1.16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every good thing comes from God because He is good. As you may have noticed, then, that when we bless God, we bless Him. We even did so earlier as we read Psalm 107. What did we do? We praised Him for His loving kindness. We praised Him for His goodness we blessed him that way but when he blesses us he does good to us that's the difference that's the difference john macarthur says it this way when we bless god we speak good of him right that's i mean we we praise him for his attributes we praise him for what he's done for us we praise his glory we speak good of him 
when He blesses us, He does good to us. That's the difference. So we speak good of Him, He blesses us by doing good to us. That's the difference. Our blessing is our words to Him. His blessing is His deeds to us. See, there's nothing that we can do to add to Him. There's nothing that we can do that's going to put us in a, a, a favorable light with Him. He does so. He saves us because of His mercy and grace. He saves us because of His loving kindness. You see, God has granted to us every good thing that we need. He has made us citizens of heaven and spiritually blessed us even if we, even if we may lack physical things that we need. In other words, no matter our temporal situation, whether rich or poor, we have been spiritually blessed beyond all human comprehension. He has joined us to Christ. And He has given us every spiritual blessing in Him. Said another way, you have everything you need in Christ. The Apostle Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter 1-2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us some things pertaining to life and godliness. Now, it doesn't say that, does it? It says that, he has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and excellence. Furthermore, if you're joined with Christ, not only has He given you everything that you need, but He's already seated you in Christ in the heavenly places. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, 5, and 6. It says this, Even... Verse, verse 5, Ephesians 2, 5, Even when you were dead transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6, And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, heaven then is the real abode, the real home of the citizen of Christ's kingdom. So if you have been saved, yes, you may be a citizen of Florida, you may be a citizen of the United States, you may be a citizen of this world, but ultimately your citizenship is not in those places, but it is in heaven. And you have been seated, you have been raised up with Him, and you have been seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul says much the same thing in Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we are strangers and aliens in this world. But we are no longer, no longer strangers and aliens to Christ. You see that important distinction? We are strangers and aliens in this world. But we who are joined with Christ are no longer strangers and aliens to Christ. But you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are of God's household. And it is by faith, it is by faith that we grab a hold of that promise. You see, we live this world in the flesh. We live here in the flesh, and we deal with all the difficulties and distresses of the world in the flesh. But we grab a hold of the fact that we're citizens in heaven by faith. See, this world has nothing for us. 
as Christians, we must live for the heavenly city. We must desire a, a better country. That's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews eleven sixteen. But as it is, they, those who were being persecuted, they desire a better country. Those who have faith, that is. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Beloved, if you sit here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in Christ. If Christ is your treasure, then you, there is a, a better country for you. There's a heavenly city being prepared for you. Because we know that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Again, listen to John MacArthur. Listen to this. Our life is in the supernatural, in the heavenlies. We commune with God, our Father there. Our home is there. Our Savior is there. Our friends are there. Our loved ones are, are there. Our name is there. Our throne is there. Our room is there. It is in the heavenlies that we live. And we're trapped in the tension of being heavenly citizens with an earthly sojourn. You and I are kings, the Bible says. And we're right now walking among the commoners of the earth. But one of these days, we're going to go back to the home where our throne is. And we're going to be seated with Christ in His throne. End quote. I mean, in a very real way, beloved, in a very real way, you've already been raised up and are with Him in the heavenlies. And we need to live our life in light of this. Live our life by faith, knowing who we are in Christ. Now, I've, I've drawn a parallel between spiritual blessings in the heavenlies and material blessings on earth. And I have done so to show you how material blessings, your material blessings can blind you to true spiritual blessings. But I don't think Paul is drawing a contrast between these. I think Paul is showing us the transcendence of our spiritual blessings over the material ones. In other words, both material blessings and spiritual blessings come from the hand of God. You can't deny that. Both come from the hand of God. We don't necessarily have to give up one for the other, but we must understand that what God has given us in Christ far exceeds any earthly thing we can ever possess. Any earthly thing. Anything. And as such, we must join Paul in seeing everything we have on earth as dung, as excrement when compared to to the treasure we have in Christ. I have stated that before, I've stated before that we must be willing to give up our earthly treasures for Christ, and that's very true. But I think it even goes deeper than this. We must count our earthly treasures as loss for the sake of Christ. Christ must be your true treasure. He must be treasured above all things because it is in Him that we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Now later in this passage, Paul will sum up what we've been given in Christ. 
Let me just give you a quick list as we close in on the, the ending. We've been given salvation in Christ. We've been given holiness. We've been given adoption as sons and daughters. We have been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've been given a knowledge of God's plan to sum up all things in Christ. We have been included in that plan. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We have been given the gifts of the Spirit. (coughs) And we've been given a future hope of glory. That's what we're going to see in these verses. Now I've stated, as we conclude, I've stated that Ephesians is more about what God is accomplishing in His church in Christ than it is about your salvation. Now, you could challenge me on that point here in chapter 1, but I think you'll come to see that Paul wants believers to see God's plan for redemption through the church. And if if we understand what God has done for each of us in Christ, then you will begin to understand and grasp the power of the church. You see, we as a church have been supernaturally joined to Christ. We are His body. We We supernaturally accomplish his work we as individuals have been given all that we need to accomplish his will but as a church imagine the power as we as we work to accomplish the will of god beloved we as this church we may be small and insignificant but we have been given the power of the holy spirit Small and insignificant, that is, in the eyes of the world. You see, Paul wanted every individual believer to see what God has done for them by placing them in Christ. Because it is God who has formed the church for His glory. And in order to fully grasp the glorious nature of our salvation, then we must see ourselves in the plan of God. See ourselves coming together as a church. Coming together placed into the body there's no mistakes god has not made any mistakes he has brought each and every one of you who know him into this church for his glory and to carry out his plan and to carry out his work and as we will continue as we continue you more fully understand his plan and how we're connected to it And you'll join Paul in praising God for what he has done in Christ. That's the goal. Beloved, I asked the question earlier. I'll ask it a different way. Are you amazed, truly amazed at what God has done for you in Christ? Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, The ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. End quote. Let me say that again. The ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. Beloved, if you are not amazed, I alluded to this earlier, if you're not amazed at the spiritual blessings that you have been given in Christ by His grace, then you may not be saved. You may not be His after all. Ask yourself this. 
Would you follow Christ if all else were taken away from you? In other words, is Christ your greatest treasure? Now I want to speak directly to the young folks here. Now you, you older folks will benefit as well. But presumably, you younger folks have the entire lives before you. You have your dreams and your aspirations. You want to accomplish things in life. It's only natural that you have those dreams. You may even be thinking, I'm going to go after the world for a while, and then I'll come to Christ. Then I'll turn to Christ when, I get, when, I, when I'm older. Some of you may even be thinking, I'll turn to Christ when I get my life in order. When, I, when I've dealt with some things in my life to, to ready me for that. Or you might think, I might not think you need to turn to Christ. Surely, surely I'm good enough. I want you to know that if Christ is not your greatest treasure, then you will not accomplish anything of eternal value. I want you to know that the only way to salvation, eternal life, is through Christ and what Christ has done. I want you to know that today, today, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Nothing in this world is worth the wait. Nothing in this world is as valuable as the Lord Jesus. If you don't know Him, then turn to Him. Make Him your greatest treasure. Cry out to Him. Turn to Him. He died for your sins and He gave Himself for you. If you know Him, if you have turned to Him if you are in Him. Serve Him. Serve Him with all your heart. Make Him your greatest treasure. Paul says it this way. In Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished on us. Nothing in this world is greater than that. Nothing in this world can even approach that. The riches of His grace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to You again. pray for those who don't know you, young or old. Pray that they would make Christ the greatest treasure. Above all other things, they would call out to him. Pray for those who know you. They would continue to make you their greatest infinite worth. 
They would come to see what they have in Christ. They would come to see what it means to give everything for Christ. And they'd live in such a way that brings you honor and glory as a living sacrifice. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.